Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 349. Dal smiled broadly. Luckily, there was an Edma boatman who offered to ferry him to the other side. The arcanist, seeing the trip would take several hours, tried to start a conversation. What do you think, he asked the boatman, about Tekum's theory of energy as an elemental substance rather than a material property? The boatman replied he'd never thought on it at all. What's more, he had no plans to. Surely your education included Tekum's theopathy, the arcanist asked. I never had what you might call an education, your honor, the boatman said. And I wouldn't know this Tekum of yours if he showed up selling needles to my wife. Curious, the arcanist asked a few questions, and the Edma admitted he didn't know who Feltimi Reese was, or what a gear wind did. The arcanist continued for a long hour, first out of curiosity, then with dismay. The final straw came when he discovered the boatman couldn't even read or write. Really, sir? the arcanist said, appalled. It is every man's job to improve himself. A man without the benefit of education is hardly more than an animal. Dal grinned. Well, as you can guess, the conversation didn't go very far after that. They rode for the next hour in a tense silence, but just as the far shore was coming into sight, a storm blew up. Waves started to lash the little boat, making the timbers creak and groan. The Edema took a hard look at the clouds and said, It'll be true bad in five minutes. Then, somewhat worse, afore it clears. This boat of mine won't hold together through it all. We're going to have to swim the last little bit. And with this, the ferryman takes off his shirt and begins to tie it around his waist. But I don't know how to swim, says the arcanist. Dal drank off the last of his wine, turned the cup upside down, and set it firmly on the tabletop. There was a moment of expectant silence as he watched me, a vaguely self-satisfied expression on his face. Not a bad story, I admitted. The Ruz accent was a little over the top. Dal bent at the waist in a quick, mocking bow. I will take it under consideration, he said, then raised one finger and gave me a conspiratorial look. Not only is my story designed to delight and entertain, but there is a kernel of truth hidden within, where only the cleverest student might find it. His expression turned mysterious. All the truth in the world is held in stories, you know. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. So we can read this story. We can examine the lesson that Dal is trying to teach Quoth. But I want to examine the last sentence on the page. All the truth in the world is held in stories, you know. Now... If I were predisposed to, say, close reading and crackpot theories, I might suggest that this is the actual lesson that the author, that Rothfuss, is trying to impart to us. Or at least he's having a bit of a chuckle because this book in particular is full of stories within stories. And as we've pointed out many times, 
the stories in a story in this book in particular tend to have a lot of the same ingredients. And I have gone on record as saying that I think they're all different versions of the same story or perhaps the same story at different points. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised if this is a bit of a nod to that, a bit of foreshadowing or a bit of, I don't know what the word would be, stirring it in a little bit. I think that this is the author saying that we, the reader, need to pay attention whenever a story comes up because there's truth hidden in them. They're not just there to delight and entertain. I mean, you could argue that that little tidbit is goes beyond the edges of the book as well, because to say that like the truth is in story sort of echoes the ideas of like really old fairy tales in which like you would tell them to your kids to make them scared of things that were dangerous. So like your kid would go running into the woods if they read Hansel and Gretel, for instance. Yeah, or not disobey their parents if they read Hansel and Gretel, because the parents will uh, leave them to die in the woods. Yes, that too. Um, So yeah, this could also be a nod to the larger thesis of the series, which, you know, among other things, that's a very complex thesis, would be something to the effect of all stories originated somewhere, and no matter how fanciful, there's a truth in in them in some way or other. See, I just have a much more metaphysical or or more... I don't know. I have a different reading, which is simply that all stories have some kind of truth in them, whether it is like a representation of a certain kind of person or a moral lesson or like, a, a you know, uh, something to say about society. And that, you know, stories are just one more way for human beings to to express truths that are best, most elegantly expressed in stories. We can all be right. Hmm. The no, ultimate fence set. Mm-hmm. Well, no, actually. What? not to, Sorry, Jordana, but we can't. Why not? I mean, we, the three of us can, but not all positions can be correct. Oh, no, no, no. I just mean all three of the statements that we each have made at this time could all be correct. Oh, yeah. And I think they are. Good hedging, Jordana. Yes, ultimate hedging. You wouldn't want to give us carte blanche to always be right about everything we say. Yeah, no, I definitely don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm smarter than that. Yeah, I I see you. I see what you're doing. I mean, not that me saying you're not right would stop you anyway, but that's not the point. I think it's interesting that the Edema in this story isn't really an Edema, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Dal has only thrown the word Edema in there to uh, give Quoth a big old clonk on the noggin. Because this character is sort of a standard, simple farm person. Uh, but the idea that an, an Edema Ra would be operating a ferry boat uh, doesn't seem to fit, right? Like, I think that Dal probably heard this as, you know, the ignorant ferryman or something like that. And in order to kind of make Quoth pay attention, he has substituted that for Edema. Because this character has nothing to do with any of the Edema tropes that we've encountered. Now, while I mostly agree with that, and I do think that Alex probably did hear this as a ferryman story and just like chucked Edema in for the hell of it, that's not to say that it isn't possible that the same way that there are traveling troops that travel by land, that there would not be traveling troops that travel by water. Yeah. Because he doesn't say he's a ferryman. He's a boatman who offers to ferry Dal. Right? He's just like a guy with a boat. He's not necessarily a guy who operates a ferrying business. And furthermore, 
well, I take your point that this does not seem to fit our stereotype of the typical traveling trooper Edema Ru. Neither does the precocious young man who is currently sitting across from Dahl hearing the story, who, rather than plying his trade, traveling from town to town, juggling for groats, is studying at the university. I suppose so. I mean, this guy doesn't do any singing or dancing or thievery. But I take your point. And actually, I am interested if the nature of the Ra is not to travel in wagons, but simply to travel. Like, maybe you do have Edema troops that travel by boat. Maybe you have Edema troops that burrow underground. That would be a very interesting story twist. I mean, the boat thing makes me think of like those like river boats that uh, used to go up and down the Mississippi. I can see a, a, a Ruh troop either operating such a such a boat or like renting passage on one and like you know doing their performing shtick to entertain passengers on like a long riverboat journey, for example. Yeah, I'm thinking of the peripatetic river, uh, river people from um, the Golden Compass who are called the Egyptians. You know who are Edamara who travel underground, Jordana? Mole people? No, well, sort of. It's the uh, the singers from that episode of Avatar The Last Airbender who go, yeah. secret tunnel. Oh, yeah. Secret <laughs> okay, but tunnel. They're, not, like, they're traveling underground for a very short period of time. <laughs> yeah, but they're definitely Edamara. <laughs> they're also definitely baked out of their minds. <laughs> Do you think weed in uh, the Avatar of the Last Airbender world is like a hybrid like all the animals? Yeah. Well, it's probably the perfect hybrid of indica and sativa. <laughs> oh, that's why the airbenders were annihilated. No, no. The Fire Lord, uh, the original Fire Lord had to, had to destroy them because they had cultivated the perfect kush. <laughs> why do you think they were they like made their temples way up in the mountains because they were high high uh, <laughs> I think we would be remiss if we didn't just quickly gloss over the message of uh, this story which to me is that uh, all the knowledge and quote unquote education in the world is no substitute for practical experience yep and that while this guy thinks very highly of himself for all of his education, he is utterly useless in detecting and escaping uh, the storm. Yes, he's, he's all book learning and no street smarts. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I suppose the message is that a well-rounded education includes some of that street smarts. Who could, who could argue with that? Jordana? Care to argue I'm with not, that? I'm not going to argue with that. I'm sitting on the fence. Actually, no, I'm not sitting on the fence. I'm not going to argue. Hmm. <laughs> Well, I feel like we we don't have any letters. Uh, should we do recommendations? Recommendations! Yeah, all right. All right, I would like to recommend a food because we've been inundated with food things on the last couple of pages, and I really like food. I think it's great. So I would like to recommend a food, if that's all right. Does that... This is your podcaster, Nana. I'm just making sure it doesn't like break any recommendation (laughs) rules. Um, The food I would like to recommend uh, is uh, tamagoyaki, which I have just recently started learning to make. Um, It is a good time. It is an egg dish. It is omelette and delicious and looks really pretty when you cut it in half because it's all spirally. High in protein. 
<laughs> Do you have like a good recipe for it that we can link in the show description? Um, it's not terribly complicated, and I didn't really use a recipe. I more or less watched like six or seven different videos of other people making it, and was like, "Yeah, I can figure this out," and then just decided to try and figure it out. So. I don't know if people want to do that, but they can try that. <laughs> You're a braver person than I. That's just how I cook. I, I don't necessarily like I'll read a recipe, but I'm probably not going to follow it to a T. <laughs> You're a much more confident cook than me. Thank you. <laughs> I would like to recommend a comic book. And some of you more learned comic heads out there may scoff at me because this uh, is apparently a foundational one, but I had never heard of it until just recently. Uh, it's called The Incal, and it's by Alejandro Jodorowsky and uh, with art by Mobius. And I had heard of Alejandro Jodorowsky, and I knew him as a filmmaker, a, uh, an auteur filmmaker, uh, perhaps most famously uh, and most relevantly nowadays. He was in charge of a very uh, ambitious and ultimately failed adaptation of Dune that they made a documentary about. And... Mobius is an artist. I know him most as a concept artist involved in such things as uh, Alien and uh, other similar sci-fi things. I did not know that they collaborated on a comic book and I did not know how foundational this was and how much contemporary sci-fi cribs from it, or I should say is inspired by it. I haven't finished reading it yet, so your mileage may vary. And it's definitely one of those comic books that was written before the conventions of the comic form had really solidified so it does some things that by today's standards are kind of clunky like it often uh will have a big panel with some action in it and then we'll have a speech bubble describing the action which is kind of annoying but incredibly detailed it's incredibly i don't i won't say it's like complex or particularly well written but it's definitely like foundational and if you're a sci-fi fan uh or a comics fan uh, it's worth looking into simply to get a sense of the pedigrees of the artists involved. It's the Incal by Yodorovsky and Mobius. Yeah, I, I have never read it, but Mobius is one of the most famous and influential artists in the history of comic books. Like he is on a level with like Jack Kirby or uh, Hergé or Jim Steranko. But I feel like most, a lot of English language uh, readers don't know him because he was published entirely in the European comics market. I think he did like one Marvel comic, basically. And the European comics market is really interesting because uh, in Europe, comics are not considered the kind of like infantile children's art form that they have been derided by in North America uh, for a long time. And so it's considered a, like a perfectly respectable and adult thing to read. And they also didn't get completely taken over by the superhero craze. So they have a lot more variety in the kinds of genres they are willing to explore. Um, so Nick, I'm going to be boring that when you're done with it. For sure. Uh, and for my own part, uh, I wish to recommend a book called the only good Indian by Stephen Graham Jones, who is a, an indigenous uh, American author and the only good Indian is a horror novel that is written from the perspective of and centers the kind of the perspective and struggles of uh, First Nations people in uh, North America, particularly the characters in it are uh, from the Blackfeet, uh, Blackfeet Nation. Uh, and it's like a scary horror novel, kind of in the vein of like Stephen King, if Stephen King's prose was a little bit more literary. Uh, and it's like quite scary and unique. Uh, and it's really good. So, yeah. 
The Only Good Indian by Stephen Graham Jones. All right. Good recommendations all around. Well, there you go. Three great tastes that taste great together. Yeah, I'll trade you. Once once you're done that book, I'll uh, I'll trade you this one. Sounds great. And, and when COVID's over, I'll make all of you some tamagoyaki. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> listeners, you can yep, taste I'm into it. these tastes. So, listeners, you heard it here. Jordana has promised to make everyone, including you, uh, a delicious serving of tamagoyaki. So, I why mean, not? To be fair, it's, it's literally just a fancy-looking omelet. So I'm sure everyone can manage it all by themselves. <laughs> no, you you promised. It's on the air. It's a matter of public record. No, no, no. I will make you and Jeremy tamagoyaki. But I'm sure. I'm sorry, Joanna. You're not- criminally liable. If you <laughs> renege on this deal, you are in a lot of trouble. Yeah, the egg police are coming for you, Jordana. On tomorrow's page. Of. Listeners, I urge you to bring Jordana up on charges for the reneging wind! on this deal. 